today I'm going to just invite you for these few moments uh, together to quiet your hearts and your minds in the presence of God and for these, uh, this time that we spend in worship uh, to rest in him in a very busy week. Let's pray. Lord, bring us together today from the places where we've been all week, whether that's work or traveling or school or shopping or taking care of our families, from all of the places that have, may have caused an emotional distance from you. Unite us together in this time of worship. Let your spirit rest upon those who are ill today, upon those who may be brokenhearted, on those who are discouraged, and on those who are far from you. Lift us up as we sing, as we hear your word proclaimed, so that we may know the comfort that you intend for all of your people through the one we call Messiah. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our journey this year has uh, been looking at the original songs of Advent found in the New Testament Gospel of Luke. The first week, if you were here, we uh, heard the song of Zechariah the priest, the father of John the Baptist. Uh, John the Baptist would be the one who uh, came to prepare the way for the coming Messiah. The second week, we talked about Mary, the mother of Jesus, and her song, which magnified the Lord for choosing her to be the birth mother of Jesus. Last week, we talked about the song of the angels in the heavenly choir who broke the news of Jesus' birth to some of the least of the society in that day, some shepherds, a group of simple shepherds. And today we're going to hear the song of another priest, a man by the name of Simeon, and hear how God had promised that he would not see death until he had seen God's Messiah. So all of these songs of faith, I hope, have had an impact on your celebration of Christmas uh, this year, and in the coming week you will experience the peace of Christ like you've never known it before. This morning, we're also pleased to uh, share with you just a few words about our Christmas special Christmas offering this year. Uh, this year, we're going to be designating our, our Christmas offering for three new ministries that we're connecting with as a congregation, and you'll hear more about uh, them later, but one of them is the Blended Learning Academy. Some of you may or may not know that right down the road on Clark Road in the old Gunnisonville School is a uh, school for at-risk kids, and um, the director and founder is Tim Brannon, who attends worship here at Redeemer. Tim and I have known each other for a long time. I, when I served as pastor in Mount Pleasant back in the early 80s, I knew Tim and his family. But it's been nice to reconnect to here and to see the kind of ministry that, that uh, they're having at the uh, Blended Learning Academy right here in DeWitt. So we're gonna find out how we can partner as a congregation to do more for what they're doing. So Tim, come on up and share with us. I'm humbled to be before you and uh, to have Blenda Learning Academy be selected this year to receive um, a portion of the Christmas offering. Uh, how many people here have seen the new Sparrow Cancer Center videos? Thomas, you better say yes, because yes, you are in it. Um, well, that was actually filmed during our first graduation, which happened in June. We actually graduated 14 youth that without Blenda Learning Academy would not have graduated high school. Um, people think that I'm crazy, and I'll admit that. And uh, what we've done, if you, if you know a little bit about public school academies, is typically 
they're K6 or K8 because everybody likes the cute kids, right? The little ones. Well, because I don't have enough to do, I said, well, let's start a charter high school and then more importantly, target at-risk youth who basically may not have anything. They may be homeless. Uh, they may come from a single parent um, life. Uh, Thomas, who I mentioned over there, raise your hand again, Thomas, uh, was actually the second bouncing baby boy that we adopted uh, a couple of years ago. Josh was our first uh, five years ago now. And it really, um, our family, it, it really raised our awareness of the need. There's 13,000 kids in the foster care system in Michigan alone, and nationwide it's, it's a crisis, if not an epidemic. And so what we decided to do is I got together with a group of educators. We founded the academy, and um, again, as you can imagine, some kids that don't have anything, whether it's food or gas cars, because we're so small, we don't offer transportation. And so by receiving this and your generosity, we're going to be able to provide, whether it's clothing, food, or um, transportation for the youth here. And I would be remiss if I didn't um, pontificate for a moment as a professor and tell you the starfish story, which I've shared earlier. Which, by the way, I must say, if you've never gone to earlier services, you have to go and see who's sitting in your spots. <laughs> you know, so, and actually, Larry Olson took ours, honey, at the last service. So we'll, we'll get him back later. But um, a man's walking along a beach, and the tide has receded, and there's thousands of starfish that have washed upon the shore that are surely going to die. As the man's walking, he sees a, a boy walking along, picking up a starfish, throwing it back in the ocean. And as the man approaches the boy, he says, Son, you know, surely you can't make a difference. There's thousands of starfish out there. And the boy reaches down, picks up a starfish, throws it back in the ocean and says it made a difference to that one. And really that's what we're trying to achieve at uh, Blended Learning Academies is to um, you know, help the kids that don't have anything. And uh, so I want to give Rod, and on behalf of, of the school and the entire congregation here, his very own starfish for the difference that he makes. But we really appreciate it, everybody, and um, happy holidays. Thank you. I mentioned earlier that if you've been here through this Advent season, you know that in the first two chapters of Luke's Gospel, there are four songs that were sung about the coming of Christ. We've talked about a different one each Sunday and how each of them focuses on a unique aspect of the meaning of Emmanuel, the name given to Jesus, which simply means that God is with us. The closing song of Luke's birth narratives is sung by a weathered and aged man by the name of Simeon, grayed and stooped over, but with a voice like so many other priests of his day is accustomed to singing. His is a very personal song of joy that sees ancient hopes realized. But it is also a song of dramatic transformation, foretelling the upheaval of the culture the ending of deep divisions and the stunning truth about ourselves that comes to the surface when Jesus is near. He is not alone in his celebration, for a godly woman by the name of Anna steps into Simeon's blessing and teaches us as well. So I invite you for the next few moments to listen to this song of an old man who realizes that he is standing at the hinge of history. And then allow yourself to see the deep meaning of what Christmas celebrates through the, through the eyes of an older woman who was also there. So let's eavesdrop on them in verses 25 through 35 of the second chapter of Luke's Gospel. 
As we come to Christmas, there are three key lessons in this in these verses that I believe the Spirit of God would teach us. The first lesson that we learn from this story is that Jesus' birth prepares us for the future. Beginning with verse 25, we read these words. At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Verse 27 continues. That day the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace, as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people, Israel. Now the word now, now let your servant, is a powerful word in these verses. It is a declaration. It's an announcement that signals that a dramatic change has occurred. A decisive moment has dawned that transforms everything. Picture this elderly priest being faithful to watch for the coming of the Messiah. He bides his time scanning for the first glimmers of light through the long, dark night of the world in which he lives. His tired body longs for the rising of this, what the scripture calls the bright and morning star. And then at last, as if it was the sun coming up over the horizon, the blazing light pushing back the black of night, painting the world with a new day, he gets to see the baby. This priest's assignment is now done. Weary but obediently, he, he declares, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised because I have seen your salvation. Beginning in verse 30, Simeon tells us why this birth is not to be overlooked. So decisive for him and for us. He says, I have seen your salvation which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people, Israel. Simeon sings of the salvation of God, a rescue operation that is amazing to behold. This tiny infant, just now 40 days old, is God's Messiah sent to secure our salvation. He is the longed-for Jewish deliverer who comes to bring glory to Israel but the mercy shown to Israel will overflow the banks of one people and he will bring redemption to all nations. The Old Testament prophet Isaiah reported the words of God to his Messiah son in chapter 49 of Isaiah and he says this, you will do more than restore the people of Israel to me. I will make you a light to the Gentiles and you will bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. God says through Isaiah that it would be a dishonor to his servant Messiah if he did not give him more to do than simply restore the glory of an oppressed and sinful Israel. That's too small of a task. So Christ's coming marks the beginning of hope for people everywhere. But in this sweeping work of God, don't miss the point that was very personal to Simeon. My eyes have seen your salvation. What gave Simeon peace? To face his own death was that he himself had seen the one and only Christ, 
who secures salvation for all of us. Now he was ready to die because Jesus, the Savior, is born. He believed without even knowing how it would all end. He looked at an infant and saw God's solution to our separation. He trusted in what Jesus came to do, and he crossed the line of readiness to meet God. How about you this morning? Can you say that you believe like Simeon? Have you crossed that line of readiness to meet God? More important than anything this Christmas is whether or not we are prepared to meet God, seeing in Christ our only hope of reconciliation and peace with our Creator. But the second lesson that we learn from this story is that Jesus' life prepares us to suffer. In verses 34 and 35, Simeon looks at Mary and he says, this child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall and many others to rise. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your very soul. In other words, Mary's baby was going to divide the nation. He is a sign from heaven that marks the end of neutrality about God. People are either going to be for him or against him. There's no middle ground. To some, Jesus' coming brings hope of heaven. To others, separation from God for all of eternity. Jesus' birth will lift up the lowly. It will bring down the mighty. He will unite some and he will divide others. People will either love him and follow him or they will hate him and reject him. And to Mary, Simeon says, a sword will pierce your very soul. The Messiah will reveal the secret thoughts and intentions of many hearts of people who don't like the truth to be told to them. You won't like what happens to him because of this, Mary, but it's necessary so that he can fulfill the mission that is his. Decades later, the Apostle Paul, who bore in his body the marks of suffering for the Lord Jesus, wrote these words in Philippians chapter 1. Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. This will be a sign to them that they are going to be destroyed, but that you are going to be saved, even by God himself. For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. Now, giving our life to Jesus Christ and following him is not ever going to be easy. His purpose, Jesus, or God's purposes brought Jesus to a cross. But if we follow him, our purposes will take us to also to places of suffering. But the meaning of Christmas transforms that suffering, whether it's from an illness or a loss or not having enough to get by. It's part of suffering for the sake of Christ. So the Apostle Paul is encouraging us to be strong in a manner worthy of Christ, asking for his grace in times when we need help so that the suffering might have its perfect work in us and through us to someone who's watching our life. And believe me, 
People watch our life. People like to know and see whether following Jesus makes any difference in how we live. Now, the third lesson that this story teaches us is that today is the day when we need to, be, need to willingly surrender our life to Jesus Christ. You know, it's not an accident that God surrounded the coming of Christ with different generations. Why are Elizabeth and Zechariah and Simeon and Anna all very much older people? Why did God ordain that the parents of the last Old Testament prophet who John the Baptist be an elderly couple and the parents of the Messiah be a very young couple? Why are the two witnesses, Simeon and Anna, at the point of death when they see Jesus and testify about him? Luke seems to stress the age thing very deliberately. I think there are several answers that we might be meant to see here, but let me just emphasize one, and that is that it's never too early or it's never too late to be fully devoted to our Lord Jesus Christ, to be filled with hope in God, to surrender our will to the Spirit of God so that he puts us in a position to be part of God's plan here on earth. Now, I want to speak to just two groups of people here this morning. First one, to younger people who are here. And I want to say this with all the sincerity I can muster. It is deeply wrong for you to wait until later in your life to set things right with God and give yourself fully to God. Suppose Mary had decided to be spiritual but not religious, as is so fashionable today. What if she tried to be religious just some of the time but toyed with the values of this world as well? Well, if that had been so, then we would not know much about Mary today. Or what if Joseph had decided to sow his wild oats before settling down with Mary? His name would be absent from the Bible. You see, it's foolish to take your time to know God and to live for him lightly, for that kind of thinking is built on two flawed assumptions. The first assumption is that tomorrow is guaranteed. Many times I've heard someone say, you know, not now, God, I understand what's at stake, but I want to wait. I want to, I'll make time for you later in my life. Right now I'm just having too much fun. The Bible refutes that kind of logic. Listen to the words of James chapter 4. Look here, you who say, today or tomorrow we are going to be uh, to a certain town and we'll stay there a year. We will do business there and make a profit. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here for a little while, and then it's gone. What you ought to say is, if the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. Otherwise, you are boasting about your own pretentious plans, and all such boasting is evil. Remember, it is a sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. We need to understand this. It is not only arrogant but it is evil to think that we have tomorrow in our back pocket. And God will bypass us to find someone else whose heart is fully his, or that God will give us another day or another year to make the decision to follow him. Because tomorrow is not guaranteed for any of us. The second false assumption is that I can come to God anytime I want to. Deep down, those who stray away from God to enjoy the pleasures of this world with the intention of returning to God sometime in the future believe that they are captain of their own ship, master of their own fate. 
but the Bible disagrees. The Holy Spirit is like the wind, says the scripture. He blows where he wills and when he wills, and we neither have the power nor the inclination to come to God in a spirit of repentance apart from the Holy Spirit drawing us to God. We come when he is ready, not when we are, which is why the Bible relentlessly calls us to respond today. The Apostle Paul makes this clear in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 where he says, the right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. Hebrews chapter 3, today when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. You must warn each other every day while it is still today so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. You may think that you have your whole life out in front of you, but none of us know what tomorrow will bring. So let this day be the day of your repentance and your return and your full surrender to God's will and to God's way because you may not have another chance. Secondly, to those who are here today and are older, let me say this with all the due respect and hope that I have for you. It is also deeply wrong for you to throw in the towel and let your heart retire from devotion to God. Just look at Simeon and Anna. Years before, God had uh, made it clear to Simeon that he would live until he saw the Lord's Messiah. Now, we can only imagine how maybe Simeon greeted each new day after hearing that promise. He would have a front row seat at the Messiah's coming. He would be part of the revolution. He would get a job in the new administration when the Messiah came. But years passed, and then decades passed, and nothing seemed to be happening. Nothing changed. There may have been a time when Anna, too, dreamed of a glorious life, but her husband died just seven years after their marriage. Things had not turned out like Anna had planned. Now she's 84 years old and in the sunset years of her life. See, it would have been easy for this elderly widow and this aged man to conclude that their best days were behind them. And whatever chance for any lasting influence had already passed. It would have been easy to soak in the nostalgic memories of a bygone time and figure that their work for the Lord was done. It's time now to let younger people do it. They'd done their share. But instead of retiring to a senior center, they persevered in their trust in God's plan. They stayed faithful. They stayed responsive to the Holy Spirit, and, in, and so it was that God let them see and hear something that others missed. Let me close with a story. On November 18th, 1995, the Israeli master violinist Itzhak Perlman played before the eager audience of New York's Lincoln Center. But within seconds of beginning, it was clear that the maestro was in trouble. Just as he finished the first stanza, a string on Perlman's violin snapped. To everyone's surprise, Itzhak Perlman paused for a moment, closed his eyes, and then signaled the conductor to begin again. The orchestra started over, and he joined them where he'd left off. He played with passion and purity, uh, modulating and rechanging and retuning and recomposing the piece on the spot to make up for what was lost by the broken string. When he finished, the audience exploded to its feet. 
They knew the feast, uh, the feat that they had just seen. Perlman raised his bow in, to quiet the audience, and then he said, not boastfully, but in a quiet, reverent tone, he said, you know, sometimes it is the artist's task to find out how much music you can still make with what you have left. So here we are on this Christmas Sunday, and I ask those of you who have witnessed the passing of years, what music do you still have left? Are you still playing the strings of faithfulness to God? Are you practicing the spiritual disciplines of worship and learning and praying things that continue to nurture that right and holy spirit of God within you? Will you be spirit-led going where God wants you to go? You know, it could be, it just could be, and as we reach an older age in life, that the most important music that we will ever make in our lifetime is now, just as it was for Simeon and Anna. Whatever you have left, dare to play it for all your worth, and you will find that the wondrous chord of faith and hope and love still stirs the heartstrings of the next generation. See, in a world where people often feel hopeless, these songs of Christmas found in Luke's gospel remind us that the God of the universe engaged himself with the world he created in the person of Jesus Christ. God sees possibilities that you and I can't see. God does what you and I can't do. And God paid the price for what you and I can't afford to pay. And that's what Jesus coming to earth was all about, to bring hope, to bring life change to each person who would receive him by faith. God offers you the gift today of eternal life. He offers forgiveness. He offers salvation. He offers new life. Have you received the gift? If you haven't, don't put it off. Let today be the day. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you who came in the fullness of time to the earth in your first advent and who will come again, in your perfect timing at the second advent. Do come into our lives today. Come, Lord Jesus, and give us the joy of your presence and a taste of the reality of your resurrection and your reigning glory. Help us to practice holy waiting in all of our lives that we may give you all the glory as you work out your perfect plan and your perfect will in our life. So in waiting, we worship you Son of God, Son of Man, Lord of life, Savior of the world. And today we pray it all in Jesus' name.